Well, please turn your Bibles with me to Matthew 1.18. As you turn there, just a reminder that we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper together this morning, and so you can feel, uh, if you've not already uh, received your communion uh, cup, you can go back to the, in the, by the usher table and grab that as, as we stand to read if, if you need to do that, uh, as we prepare our hearts to participate in the Lord's Supper this morning. Let's uh, stand with me, if you would, as we read Matthew 1 together. This is a, a passage we looked at uh, beginning last week. We're continuing to, to look at this passage. We're looking at, at verse 18 in particular, but I want to give you a little bit of the context as we look at the birth of Jesus. Matthew 1.18 and following. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You may be seated. And Father, we thank you for Emmanuel, for you with us, for allowing us to, to participate in fellowship with you through the birth, the, the life, the death, the resurrection of your son, Jesus. We pray that you would instruct our hearts this morning. We pray this in his name. Amen. Becoming a father was a really scary thing for me. In fact, before I became a father, I was, I was afraid of heights and roller coasters, things like that. Didn't really enjoy that. Like from the moment, though, that I found out that I was going to be a father, things like roller coasters and heights no longer frightened me. It was kind of like, you know, manufactured fear just wasn't as, as frightening as the real thing. The idea of life and how scary that had suddenly become. And, and preparing for fatherhood, I, I you know, read some books, took a class, uh, talked to a lot of dads, but but ultimately uh, those things weren't the most influential influence, the most influential influence. They weren't the most influential thing on my parenting. I found, as many of you have found as well, who are parents, the most influential, the single most influential thing in my parenting was my own parents, how they parented me. I found myself throughout the years, just over and over again, saying something or doing something or responding to something and saying, well, that's, that's just dad, you know, like, like father, like son. And in a human relationship, that can sometimes be encouraging, that can sometimes be discouraging to think how like our parents we sometimes are. But in terms of relating to our heavenly father, like father, like son is a very encouraging truth. For those of us who are in Christ, there's, there's hope that you and I can be more and more like our Heavenly Father, that more and more we can, can look like Him. 
as we're conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus. Uh, Christmas reminds us, it's it's a time for us to think about the miracle of the divine Father sending His divine Son so we could be brought into relationship with the triune God through faith in Jesus Christ and become more and more like Him. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 1, and specifically we're kind of looking at verse 18 and, and thinking about what takes place here in Matthew 1. We're looking at the, you see in Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus, and then you come to this verse, verse 18, and as you look at verse 18, there's a couple things we notice. We notice, first of all, that the the birth of Jesus is not the beginning of Jesus. The, The birth of Jesus described in verse 18 is not the beginning of his existence. We see that the details here are few that Matthew gives us, as is true of the other gospel accounts that that describe this. There's a lot that's shrouded in mystery, but we, we see that the origin of Jesus is divine. There's described here just, just the, the, the briefest hints of something that points to a much deeper reality for who Jesus is. Mary is found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. We recognize here as we look at verse 18 that there is a divine, eternal relationship between this Jesus and his heavenly Father. And so we're thinking this morning and last week about the divine relationship, the eternal relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Now, here's kind of the main idea that we've been thinking about, we began thinking about last week. As we meditate on the eternal relationship between God the Father and God the Son, we're rejoicing. We're rejoicing as we meditate on this, this eternal relationship because we recognize that all of our needs are met by the Father. We're, we're spending some time looking at what the, the Father has done in His relationship, in His eternal relationship with God the Son, to help us understand our relationship with the Father. And so there's kind of eight statements that we're kind of meditating on this Christmas, and we looked at the first three last week. We saw, uh, first of all, as we were kind of looking through these things, that the the Father is not the Son. The the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. As we talk about God, we're talking about a triune God, a, a God who has eternally existed as three gods, and yet Sorry, as three, as three persons. Thank you for the, the looks of heresy. Uh, three persons in one God, one eternal God, one eternal being. And the, the second statement that we looked at is that the Father and the Son are both fully God. Both the Father, God the Father, God the Son are complete, full gods. There's, there's, there's no uh, less essence between the Father and the Son, and the same, of course, is true of the Holy Spirit. And then the, the, the third statement that we looked at is kind of a transitional statement. The Father, we saw, is eternally and necessarily the Father. The Father is eternally the Father. There's never been a moment in time where God the Father was not God the Father, and He is necessarily the Father. It's essential to who God is that He exists as three persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's never been a moment in time where the Father's not been the Father, and there's never been a moment in time where the Son was not the Son. And that's kind of a transitional statement because what we're seeing is that this relationship that that exists within the triune God is an eternal relationship. 
And it helps us understand some things about our relationship with God the Father as we look at his relationship with, the, with God the Son, a relationship that has existed since before creation and will continue to exist forever. So let's, let's look at some statements that help us understand what the Father has done in his relationship with the Son that help us understand our relationship with the Father as well. Number one, what does the Father do? Number one, in his relationship with the Son. Number one, the Father sends his Son. The Father sends his Son. As you read through the Gospels, something very interesting to notice is how many times it's mentioned by Jesus that the Father has sent him. Let me kind of walk through just a, a fraction of some of these verses about the Father sending his Son. And as, as we walk through some of these verses, what you see are some, some aspects of what it means that the Father sends the Son and, and the aspects of this relationship. So, for example, Jesus says this in John 7.16. In John 7.16, Jesus is talking and he says, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. In other words, the Father, in his sending, proves to be the ultimate source of the message. John 14, 24, Jesus says, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and my word that you hear, the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. We see that the Father, as we look at the passages that talk about the Father sending the Son, we see that the Father has a purpose in sending his Son. In Luke 4, 43, Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So the, the Father sends his Son. As he sends his Son, he has a purpose behind it. It's so that the Son can engage in teaching the, about the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and we also see, as we look at these passages where Jesus describes the Father sending him, we see that the Father and the Son are in perfect unity concerning that purpose. There's no division between the two of them. As Jesus sends out his disciples in Luke 10, verse 16, he says, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. There's, there's this perfect unity of purpose in the Father and the Son and in the sending. And even a and even a healthy father-son relationship, there's, there's not perfect unity of purpose. A, a son lives at home with, with dad, and dad may have certain rules or certain understandings about how the home should function, and a, and a good son says, okay, I'm, I'm going to do those things. But even as he does what the father asks him to do, there's not complete unity of purpose. And, and those of you who have been sons or maybe who are sons right now living at home, you could say, okay, Man, there are some things that once I get out of the home are going to be a little bit different, okay? The, the room isn't going to be, you know, so clean. Uh, there's going to be some more junk food involved in my diet. There's going to be some different things that happen as I enter into my own relation, into my own, you know, maturity. That's not how the relationship between the father and the son is, okay? So, so don't misunderstand that. The, the son is doing what the father has, has told him to do, He's, the Father is the source of the authority, but there's no, there's no uh, lack of unity of, of purpose and desire. The Son always does the will of the Father and doesn't act ind independently of the Father. We see this in John, 1, uh, John 8, 28. I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone. 
And, and the son, in his obedience, the, the obedience is not some sort of drudgery that he goes, okay, i got to be obedient again. And, and, and poor Jesus has been having to, to be obedient to the Father for eternity past. No, there's this, there's, the son's obedience is a source of joy. In John chapter 4, Jesus says, my, my food, my, my nourishment is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his, his work. Jesus, is, as fully God, desires to do those things that are honoring and, and bring glory to the triune God. It's not, he's not less than the Father. In John chapter 5, he says, I'm doing this, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. There's this perfect unity of purpose. And the, the Son, as he engages in obedience, experiences the fullness of joy. Now, a lot of this, a lot of this is a mystery, okay? I don't, I don't, don't understand, it goes without saying, right? I don't understand fully how all of this works. But a couple things for us to think about. Not only does the Father send the Son, but we also see in Scripture that the Father sends us. And so we, we look at this relationship between the Father and the Son, the Father sending the Son, and how the Son responds, and we recognize, okay, now that we have entered into relationship with God through faith, we, we are also sent by God. He also does that as our Heavenly Father. In John chapter 17, Jesus says, as you, he's talking to the Father, as you sent me in the world, so I've sent them into the world. John 20, 21, peace be with you, says Jesus, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So, so what do we what do we think about then as we think about God's, God's sending of us, being sent by a heavenly Father? We recognize that to be aligned with the will of God and to walk in faithful obedience to God is not drudgery. It's not some punishment. It's, it's the only path that's going to lead to life and to joy. There's a new book. I haven't read it yet, but I've read lots of tweets about it. I don't know if that counts. Uh, I've read the introduction to it, a little bit of the introduction to it. I read part of the introduction to it and tweets, okay? And uh, it seems really good, okay? But I can't recommend it yet. It's, it's by Carl Truman, and it's called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And essentially what Truman is doing in the book is, is he's talking about how our concept of self has changed and what it means to, to determine our purpose and how that's, that's changed in our, our modern era. And he, he talks about one of the, the main points that he makes is about how the sexual revolution was a, a self-centered revolution that, that kind of culminated in the celebration of transgenderism and, and so forth. And Truman imagines, he says, you know, I, I just wonder what it would be like if someone came to my grandfather, his grandfather died in 1994. He says, I, I imagine what it would be like if someone came to my grandfather and, and told my grandfather, hey, um, I've always felt like I was a woman trapped inside a man's body. He says his, his grandfather would, would say that, that statement makes no sense to me. I, I don't understand what you're saying. And Truman says, and that's, that was only that was less than 30 years ago, and so in a very short period of time, a statement that was, would have 
been seen as kind of incoherent gibberish to his grandfather is now taken as, as fact. And here's what Truman's point is. He's, he, according to another philosopher, he talks about how in our, our current culture, to determine right and wrong, we've, and who we are and what our purpose is, we've, we've peered in deeply into ourselves. There's a belief that in order to determine who we are, what we need to do is to look deep inside of ourselves, and there's simultaneously a belief that we have a, a nature-given ability to determine what's, what's right and wrong. And so, there's this inward gazing. We kind of look into ourselves and we say, okay, what's, what's right for me, and, and what, what do I understand about who I am and what my purpose is? And that's how we determine right and wrong. There's a prioritization of our, our inner psychology, our, our feelings, our intuitions become that which chooses what's right and wrong for us. And we see it in, in all areas of life, right? And so it's, it's not just the issue of, of, of sexual morality. It's in all sorts of issues. We say, okay, what, I'm going to look inside myself, and I'm going to say, okay, what do, I, what do I feel like is true of me, and that's who I am? And again, not just in our sexuality, but in all sorts of areas of our life, in the evangelical church. Okay, I, I'm going to look inside myself and I'm going to say, okay, self, how do you think is the best way to spend your money? Or how do you think is the best way to, to raise your children? Or how do you think is the best way to respond to your parents? Or what do you think is the right career to have? Or, or what, do I, uh, what do I think about this? And what do I think about that? And there's just this inward gazing that causes us to determine for ourselves what's right and wrong. But here's what we see as we look at the Father sending the Son. Our purpose, our morality, our, our thoughts about right and wrong doesn't come from ourselves. It shouldn't. It comes from the Father, the Father who sends us. Our purpose is rooted in our conformity to the Father's will. We see beauty and obedience and submission. In fact, as we think about what's happening here within the, the triune God. Now, by the way, we have to be careful as we start trying to make applications from this eternal triune God relationship in our own human relationships. Um, sometimes, I think there's been some good pushback here in some theological circles. Sometimes we say, okay, uh, God the Father and God the Son do this, and therefore we need to do this in this human relationship. So in a husband-wife relationship or in a parent-child relationship or in a government-citizen relationship. And, and we have to be careful because the relationship that exists between God the Father and God the Son is not exactly the same as the relationship that exists in a marriage or in parenting or, or so forth. So we want to be careful, but, but we recognize that as we look at the relationship between the Father and the Son, we see a picture of, of submission. Not submission because one is better than the other, they're both fully God, but because of a function, functional subordination. And so we as, as believers want to look very carefully and say, okay, what are the relationships in which God has called me to be engaged in submission? And be careful to not determine for myself what's right and wrong, but to look to God the Father. So the Father sends his Son, and we are sent by the Father as well. And so we, we look at that relationship, we understand more about what it means to, to not look to ourselves for determining what's right or wrong, but to look to God. Secondly, not only does the Father send his Son, the Father loves His Son. The Father loves His Son. The Father loves perfectly. Michael Reeves wrote a book on the Trinity, and 
he asks a really, really good question at, in, at kind of toward the beginning of the book. He asks the question, what was God doing before he created the world? So here's, here's creation, and here's this time before time be, begins. And so what, what was God doing for eternity before he created the world? And, and he, he answers very biblically, what was the Father doing before creation? What was God doing in eternity past? He, he was loving the Son. God the Father was loving the Son. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, Jesus says, The glory that you've given to me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, he and the Father. I and them, and you and me, and they, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I make known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What was the Father doing? What was God the Father doing in eternity past? He was loving God the Son. God has had an eternity perfectly expressing His love to the Son. The triune God has had an eternity of engaging in, in perfect complete love. You and I do not love well. You and I don't love the way that we ought to in, in any of our relationships. We always fail to love rightly. God the Father isn't just really good at loving. It's not like God has just had eternity to practice, and so now he's really good at a hard thing. God himself is love. Every aspect of, it, of his character is, is, round, is, is, is uh, related to, to this as well. No, no aspect of his character exists without his love. He loves perfectly because he is love. You and I have to work at love. We have to see love modeled. We have to, to pray for, our, for love. Left to ourselves, we, we would not have the ability to love in any capacity whatsoever. We would love the wrong things. We would love in selfish ways. You know, just, just jot down the lyrics to any popular pop song, right, and try to assess those biblically. And there's, it's not going to be a very biblical understanding of what sacrificial eternal love looks like. We don't realize that we don't love well. We make love transactional or, or conditional. We harm one another in the name of love. Our love is temporal. Whatever the case, we do not love well. And so what do we do? We look to the Father. The Father loves His Son. Now, what does this mean for you and me? Well, first of all, it means that you and I can be secure in the love of God. We are loved by Heavenly Father just like God the Son is. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we participate in a love that has existed for eternity and will continue to exist for eternity. And we recognize that if God the Father would ever stop loving those of us who are in Christ, he would cease to be God. And that, of course, will not happen. 
Many of you wonder, does God love me? Will God stop loving me? Can God stop loving me if he knew about this and if he knew about that and if he knew about this? And the, the answer is God. For those who are in Christ, God will always love you. You can be secure in his love because when he looks at you, he sees not your sin, but the righteousness of his son, Jesus. This also, this truth also helps us we think about our relationships with others. We are brought into this relationship, and now this, this idea of, of God's love should motivate us in our relationships with, with others. Here's the third thing to think about as we think about the, about the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. The Father not only sends his Son and loves his Son, the Father gives all things to his Son. He gives him, for example, the authority to judge. John 5, the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son. In fact, you know who, what else God gives, God the Father gives to the Son? God the Father gives you and me to the Son. We're the sheep in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, Jesus says, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. What is it that the Father has given the Son? that he's going to raise up on the last day? It's us. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And then he goes on and says in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. We've been given to the Son by the Father. In Philippians chapter 2, we we see the extensiveness of of what the Father gives the Son. He talks about the humility of Jesus, and then he says in verse 8, related to Matthew 1, and being found in human form, he, that's Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, verse 9, excuse me, God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see there the extensiveness of what God the Father has given the Son. He's given him all things, all glory. What, what need is it that you have? As we look at this relationship between the Father and the Son, we recognize that that the Father gives all things to the Son, and there is nothing that you and I need in our lives that our Heavenly Father will not provide for us in in His good timing for our good and His glory. There's no need that you have. There's no no, uh, aspect of, of your eternal salvation that God will not fully provide. And the next thing I want us to think about, what else does the Father do? The Father works through His Son. The Father works things through His Son. Again, there's, there's perfect unity here between the Father and the Son. He works about creation. Colossians chapter 116, for by the, the Son, by, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or rulers or authorities. The Father works salvation through the Son. Romans 5.1, we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11 of Romans 5, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 
Hebrews chapter 1 tells us long ago at, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And then in verse 3, he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the power, excuse me, by the word of his power. Kirk earlier read Ephesians chapter 2, and it's kind of that, that passage describing where we were and how God saved us. And then in Ephesians 2, it, it tells us that just as the Father has given the Son work to do, He's given us work to do as well. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that He, he has uh, works prepared from beforehand. Works, works, we're supposed to walk in these works that God has prepared beforehand for us. God works through his son, and we see that he has work for us as well. Here's the last thing about the father-son relationship I want us to look at this morning as we think about its application to us. Not only does the father send the son and love the son and work through the son, not only does he give all things to the son, but the father, we see in Scripture, he sacrifices the son. As we think about the relationship between the Father and the Son, that makes this, this final truth all the more shocking. Jesus would tell Nicodemus in John chapter 3, And as, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Romans 5. Verse 8, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sacrifices his son. He sends his son with his purpose to proclaim the kingdom, and then God in his incredible grace sacrifices his son to provide the means by which we can enter into this, this kingdom and enter into this eternal relationship with the triune God. No one ever loved a son more than the Heavenly Father loved God the Son. And yet, God the Father was willing to sacrifice the Son to bring us into relationships so that we could participate in that relationship that has existed since eternity past. I want to encourage you this morning, <clears throat> the various hurts you may feel, various needs that you may have, to look to this relationship between God the Father and God the Son, and recognize that as, as we see this relationship between God the Father and God the Son, we recognize our own relationship and, and with the relationship that God is bringing us into. Just as the Father has provided all things for the Son just as the Father gives all things to the Son, just as the Son is in perfect obedience to, to, to the Father, so we are brought into this relationship where the Father provides us with all that we need for life and godliness. And, and I also want to encourage those of you who may not be in relationship with God this morning to look to the Son, to look to the Son, Jesus Christ, and to be encouraged to, to, to trust in the Father through faith in the Son, believing in Him for eternal life. Father, we do ask for your grace in being faithful to this profession. We pray that by your kindness we would know your love more deeply. 
We pray that, that this week we would, we would bask in this, this truth that you love the Son and you love us and that we would enjoy our relationship with you through our faith in your Son, Jesus. And we pray that we would look to you as, as a, our source of obedience and our source of, of what it means to, to be a, 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 a person, to be a human being, that we'd walk in obedience to you. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.